This is Data Podcast. In the ever-changing world of data, this is the podcast packed full of information to keep you right on top of all the developments. From AWS and Azure, through to data science, big data, AI and NoSQL, and everything in between, we cover the essential updates from both a technical and non-technical perspective, including special guests and in-depth interviews. Now, please welcome your hosts, Rajiv Baha and Shabnam Khan, with today's episode of Data Podcast. Our guest today is Michael Ludwig. Michael is a data solution architect at Microsoft, where he works on machine learning, big data, and blockchain applications on the Azure platform. Prior to joining Microsoft, Michael worked at Silver Bay, designing and optimizing geographical and financial statistical analysis solutions, mostly regression analysis and clustering. Before that, he was a database architect and then the lead systems architect of a multi-tenant cloud-based Internet of Things application for Logic PD in Minneapolis. I'm your host, Rajiv. Also, Shabnam is my co-host today. Welcome to our show, Michael. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Microsoft is very well known in the database world. According to DB Engine ranking, they are neck-to-neck with Oracle Database for the top position. Their premium product, Microsoft SQL Server, is one of the best-known RDBMS using the relational model. In the technology industry, relational model is one of the 14 type of database systems. Now, your expertise is in Microsoft's new multi-model database technology called Cosmos DB. How does it fit in the world of big data? So uh, you're, you're right. There are um, a number of types of databases, and Cosmos DB fits in the non-relational world as opposed to SQL Server or Oracle databases, which are relational database management systems. As far as big data goes, you can think of Cosmos DB as fitting somewhere between those relational databases and what is often called big data proper in the sense of Hadoop-type implementations that Mm -hmm. are more Mm file-based and that can span, you know, to to become hundreds of terabytes or petabytes worth Mm -hmm. of data. Cosmos DB is going to fit somewhere in the middle there. It's not intended to be a strictly typed relational database that you would normally use for an ERP system or a CRM system or a, a, a tightly coupled enterprise application. But it also is not intended to be a completely loose, schemaless data storage okay. file so system. it's not a data lake. It's uh, not a data lake. Okay. It's, it's, it's a database that has, however, no real schema associated with it and therefore can scale to be significantly larger and have much better throughput and IOPS than a relational database would have. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, So Michael, have you utilized DocumentDB emulator? So DocumentDB does have an emulator. It's a a full emulator in the sense that it it will perform exactly all the functions of document database without exception. It will just do so locally on your local system. And so it's, it's ideal, or it's, its intended purpose really is for doing development locally without having to essentially pay for the Cosmos DB during the development process 
but also be able to be sure that whatever you develop locally will run exactly the same in the cloud. Okay. The only real difference is, is that the local emulator, of course, isn't geo-replicated okay. and doesn't have the throughput um, of you know, a, the, a large Cosmos database in the cloud. Okay, so in a sense, Document DB emulator is Cosmos DB in, in a local computer so that developer can use it. Yeah, exactly. That's great to know. Some of us may or may not know that Apache Software Foundation and the open source movement is behind many of the big data technologies, but not limited to Hadoop, Cassandra, Spark. Is Microsoft utilizing anything from any Apache project in Cosmos DB? Also, is Apache Spark or any other distribution of Spark usable in, in this new platform? The answer is yes. Microsoft has been committing more and more to the Apache Foundation not only in Cosmos DB, but also in the broader big data world and Hadoop world. Microsoft has a, a close relationship with Hortonworks, which is one of the big data software vendors. And Microsoft has committed a lot of code in, in the effort of ensuring that the Azure services interoperate seamlessly with the Hortonworks um, and Hadoop ecosystem. As far as Cosmos DB is concerned, that comes down specifically to Spark, as you as you mentioned, and then also the Tinkerpop Gremlin graph ecosystem. Mm-hmm. There, you would have two different two different perspectives on that, or there's two different approaches depending on which one of those two products we're looking at. So the, on the graph side, the Gremlin and Tinkerpop infrastructure is emulated in Cosmos DB. Nice. So that means Cosmos DB has an API mm-hmm. that allows you to pretend, essentially, that Cosmos DB is a Tinkerpop server. And so oh. you can use it as a graph store, and you can write queries to it mm-hmm. or traverse that graph, um, to use a specific term, as if it were a gremlin graph civil implementation. <laughs> All right. Um, but on the other hand, uh, for Spark, the, the situation is a little different in that Cosmos DB does not implement a Spark API mm-hmm. per se. There the integration is more of a interworking in the sense that you can use Cosmos DB as the storage engine and execution engine for Spark applications. Mm -hmm. But in order for that to work, you still need a Spark server. On the one hand, that's going to communicate with the Cosmos DB server. Mm -hmm. You would just install the Cosmos DB connectors for Spark, and then you can submit Spark queries to Cosmos DB. It will run them for you Mm -hmm. and return the results back to your Spark cluster. Okay. And in that sense, you can use DocumentDB to go back to our first question as, as a real big data store, mm-hmm. just as if it were a, any other Hadoop-type data storage, except that now it's just um, Spark talking to this, this mm-hmm. database in the cloud. Nice. Now, uh, talking about NoSQL systems, most of the early NoSQL systems struggle with automaticity, consistency, isolation, and durability guarantees on database t- transactions. Would you like to share your experience with, uh, with that, and how much has it improved over the years? That's a good question. 
And it's you're very right that that has been an issue that's uh, that a lot of distributed databases have tried to address, if not resolve, over time. And that is specifically something that Cosmos DB is trying to solve for people. It's very different from the SQL world, mm -hmm. which we've already talked a little about, about, where SQL databases tend to not be distributed and tend to not necessarily have those kinds of problems. On the other hand, distributed databases like Cosmos DB or Cassandra DB will have to deal with what we call the, the CAP theorem, the, the issues of consistency, availability, and partition tolerance. What Cosmos DB does is it tries to solve that problem in a generic fashion so that it gives you an ability as a user to decide how Cosmos DB is going to solve that consistency issue for you. And so what happens is that Cosmos DB has been engineered at a, at a fundamental level to always be consistent. Mm -hmm. But it allows you on top of that to sort of define exactly how that consistency is going to be implemented. And so you, you have this, the, the normal range that we talk about from strong consistency all the way to eventual consistency, and a few notches in between, um, namely session consistency and then two other sort of consistency models where Cosmos DB will let you just move a lever essentially and tell it how strong or how weak do you want your consistency to be. Mm -hmm. And what that does for you is it allows you to sort of make that trade-off yourself intentionally, telling it if you want it very strong, then you're going to have issues you know, with writing to the database. You're going to have higher latencies because now it has to do a lot more communication to make sure that all replicas have the same information before it responds back mm -hmm. and acknowledges you're, you're right. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the eventual side, it will just take your, your right and deal with it as it can and as it has time. Yep. You know, in those early years of Facebook, mm -hmm. uh, have you noticed like uh, everybody would complain that uh, my group list is gone or my friends list have dropped or something? Do you think that was mostly around possibly due to atomicity problem or... Uh, or like this consistent problem? Yes, I think so. Yeah, that's a very good example. Um, that makes it a little more concrete. Okay, because that was like a mystery to me. Like I was like, um, huh, why did that even happen? Uh, like when you're suddenly seeing like uh, you are ha having to re-add your friends. I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, moving on uh, to the next question. You often deal with uh, customers that uh, expect high volume of transactions and latency commitments, consistent levels, global replication and failover. Let's say I don't know anything about database. How would you explain it to me? So I think the easiest way to think about this is if we think of just two, two databases. So we have a database in New York and a database in Los Angeles, we'll say. In both the relational and the non-relational world, you have the same sort of issue which is that you're going to have data in both of those places and applications accessing that data in both of those places. What we have is the Facebook problem you alluded to, which is that you want to make sure everyone sees the same data 
at about the same time and that one person doesn't see some friends whereas the other person sees a larger list of friends and they can't figure out why they don't have the same list. Mm. What the database world has done is tried to find a number of solutions to that problem, which are usually some way of those two databases communicating with each other to tell each other whether or not they're in sync. And it's ultimately a hard problem because it comes down to how much latency there is between those two databases. They can only talk at the speed of light, um, and the speed of light still takes usually about 50 milliseconds to get from New York to LA and back. And so what Cosmos DB does is it takes a specific approach to that, which is a traditional approach at Microsoft and um, in the industry, though it is not the only one. What Cosmos DB does is it decides it's not going to try to solve the problem of letting people write to the database from both locations at the same time. What it does is it defines a write database and then a number of readable databases. And so it says that if you're going to write to the database, you're always going to write to the database in New York. If you want to read from the database, you can read from it in New York or LA or Paris or mm. Mumbai. What Cosmos DB guarantees is that when you read from it from those locations, they will always be in sync depending on what consistency level you asked it for. So it deals with transmitting that data on the Azure backbone and making sure everything's in sync at the proper time. It it does not try to let you write to multiple databases at the same time and keep those in sync. That's a somewhat harder problem. I'm sure they're going to work at fixing that. But at, at the moment, they decided to not try to address that. Wow, that's fantastic. And we have learned a lot. Thank you so much for your time today, Michael. So if we wanted to learn more, uh, more from you and wanted to get in touch with you on social me media, how would you do that? You can contact me on LinkedIn and find me as one of the Michael Ludwigs, uh, the one who does work for Microsoft yep. <laughs> um, in Minneapolis. And um, that's their, your best bet. Okay. Are you not in Twitter? I, I am not <laughs> on the Twitter. That's cool. All right. Thank you, Michael, for your time. Uh, we enjoyed uh, our chat, and we wish your work on Azure Cosmos TV uh, great success. And that's where we concluded today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Data Podcast. You're welcome to follow our hosts on Twitter at Rajib2k5, at Shabnam Khan2017, and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Rajib2k5. Our episodes are also available via iTunes, SoundCloud, Google, and other podcasting platforms. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs>